Four people who were killed in a head-on collision near Charleville and County Cork last night have been named. They include a teenager and a baby aged 21 months. The four were 17-year-old Anita O'Herlihy, her sister Nia O'Herlihy, aged 20, their friend Carmel Conroy, who was 21, and Miss Conroy's baby daughter Emma. All four were from Churchtown near Mallow. The three women played in a band and are believed to have been on their way to Limerick for a rehearsal. The difference really, and it lasted from the time they were born until they died, was that Neve was actually so prim and proper and everything had to be perfect. At three years of age she got out of her bed and she actually folded her pyjamas and dressed the bed before she came down the stairs. Whereas Anita would nearly have the bed still stuck to her and she went she come down the stairs. And I think that lasted all through. It did, right through their all of their years really. One was the perfectionist and it's probably not fair to call Anita a slob. She wasn't that bad, but she just wasn't very fussy. Actually, something that Neve used to always say about Anita was, you know, she makes me sick. Because all she has to do is hop out of bed, shake the head, and she's just beautiful. My earliest memory of Anita would have been when she was about four. And it's not even her. I don't even have a picture of her in my head. But she would have started school when she was literally just four in January. And they were short of, of kids, so she started school then. And I was big into my camogie. But what I can remember, every lunchtime without fail, are the words, Karen, Anita's crying again. <laughs> and I would have been about nine. She always interrupted my camogie games. I've never forgotten that to this day. I'd say it went on every day, January to June. Neve, we were killing each other. She started gymnastics when she was about seven, which is actually quite late. But she was so determined. I can actually picture her behind the couch at home in Gary Arthur. And she had to do the splits. She'd write down that age, uh, messing every night, right? She'd warm up into pictures and she'd get down to do the splits. And she'd get maybe about an inch off the floor and she never got any further. And she kept pushing and pushing. And one night we were all watching television and we heard this big crack. She was down. <laughs> she was down. And I don't know what she did to herself, but she could actually go three ways in the splits without ever getting off the floor. <laughs> but that's what she was like. Basically, the music started when Neve was about six years old, no, maybe seven. Uh, they had a new teacher over in Glenroos School, and she was big into music and drama and the rest, and she set up her little concert for Christmas, I think it was. And she rang me one day and she said, we're thinking of putting on a section of the film, Oliver, you know, in a little stage form, and we decided that Neve would be lovely playing the part of Oliver. She had the little boy appearance at the time as well. And it was at that stage then that we really saw that she could actually really, really sing. I mean, she just gave a performance that time. We were going, wow. You know, for a little one, she was so tiny and the voice was so strong. And I suppose in that show, Anita's part was the dog in the window. You know, that one. She got the woof woof part. That was her claim to fame. Woof woof was her start. (laughs) She was about four years old that time. Then every year after that, there was another show and... Neve always got the lead role for some reason. I suppose she talked her way there, but she got it anyway. Carmel was our youngest child, and she um, she was a very sweet little girl. She loved singing, and she loved dancing, and she loved all sorts of music. And she was in the choir in Churchtown. She wasn't cheeky, 
And if you had a row with Carmel, she would never, ever go to bed at night without saying, sorry, ma'am, whether she was wrong or she was right. It didn't matter. Carmel would always say sorry. She went to college in Athlone, and she she went to Glen Bay to do her placement to the Tower Hotel. And she wasn't happy there, so she come home, and it was on a Tuesday. And I was going to the cards, and I dropped her at my daughter's in Churchtown. So on my way back, I called for Carmel, and they called me in. And I knew there was something wrong, so I went in, and Carmel told me she was pregnant. And I thought our world had fallen apart. So the following morning, I told my husband, and he said, never mind, Dealey, he said, we're gaining, we're not losing. And she brought the greatest little joy into the world, little Emma. We loved her so much. We had two babies then because Carmel was still a baby. Carmel would cuddle in your arms when she'd sit down beside you. She wanted to go into music and she wanted to go into it in a big way. I'll never forget the day she come home to me and she said, I've met the loveliest girl, she said. She's lovely and you want to hear her singing. And I said, who was that? She said, Neve, Neve O'Hurley. And Neve was her best friend. They were so close. And she loved Anita. But Neve was the driver there. She was she was the boss. You know, it had to be right. Get on with it, like. But she was there. She had a heart of gold. And she was a wonderful friend. She was Carmel's best friend. From the day they met Carmel, it started. The harmony started and the folk group started and just went from there. Always sang together. They literally score concerts Weddings, funerals, three of them, always together. But I, I don't honestly think that you could have taken one above the other two as regards their ability to sing. Mm. Neve probably had the brains best for writing the songs, but Carmel was brilliant in it, the harmonies. Well, I think writing is a gift, you know, it really is. And she was gifted. Actually, it was Anita that first wrote. It was, she yeah. wrote the very first song. And Neve said, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Carmel then, she was gifted at harmonies, absolutely, no matter, you just sang one line and away she went. And the voices just blended really well together. The three girls, Neve, Anita and Carmel, did my wedding, did complete music, the whole lot. I mean, it was more of a rock concert than a wedding. It was lively anyway, give you that. <laughs> but um, everybody complimented them so much. That's what Neve said. Here goes. We're going to start the band. And I'd say within six weeks, Nevita was formed. No equipment, but singing with spoons instead of mics. Under Neve's orders. Anita and Carmel 
if somebody sees us through the window, you're dead. Um, just before the accident, six weeks prior to the accident, the Navita was launched. It was launched in the Greenwood Inn in Arpatrick. Uh, they'd had quite a lot of press coverage, which I would imagine is why the media picked up on them so hugely when they were killed. On the evening of the accident, um, I came in from work, came in to put on Wellingtons to go feeding cattle or whatever, and Neve called me and she said, we've three new songs for Sunday night. She said, you have to listen to them. So Mary actually said, can't I listen to them? And she said, ma'am, you'll say everything we sing is beautiful, but Dad will tell us the truth. So down we went anyway, and we sat down for half an hour or so while they were doing these songs, and I said, yeah, fine, big improvement. Now, I don't care about Gina, I said, but I've worked to do when I left. I suppose about three quarters of an hour later I came in and Mary was crying in the kitchen, you see, and I said, what's wrong? So she said, I'm after hearing on the radio. There was a very bad accident on the bottom side of Charleville. And I said, did you hear who was in it? No, she said. Well, I said, don't build it in your imagination, run away with you. Oh, she said, the girls have gone that way. And I said, you're once again letting your imagination run away with you? No, she said, I tried ringing Neve's mobile and I can't get her. So that was about ten minutes or a quarter of an hour later. Uh, my son-in-law, Rick, rang. And he just barely answered the phone. He said, are the girls there? And all I heard was, why? So he said, uh, Carmel's car is after being in an accident. So now we still didn't know there was anything serious. So we left. We found out where the accident was. And anyway. we sat into the car and drove down the road. And when we arrived at the scene of the, the accident, Ali Canelli, who was a friend of ours, was the guard on duty there. And he saw us coming and he came up and he put his hands out and he said, don't go down, he said. He said, it's bad. I said, how bad is it, Liam? He said, it's very bad. So I said to Ali, look, I said, tell me straight out, is there somebody dead? And he said, Liam, there is no easy way of tell you. He said, they're all dead. I'll always remember that for the rest of my life. But I'd say we were on the road in for about, I can't remember really, maybe two hours. Because um, when we got out onto the main road heading for the accident, the ambulance came against us. And Mary said to me, she, she said, maybe things are not so bad. There's uh, no flashing lights or sirens. So when we went down to the site, we realised that Neve and Carmel's baby Emma were actually gone away in that ambulance. So Neat and Carmel were trapped in the car. They had to get a crane and fire brigade to cut him out of it. I spoke to Neve, I suppose about three minutes before they died. She was at the shop and I called her to know what she'd bring bread. And then, listening to the radio and heard about the accident. And I just knew, I don't know how I knew, I don't know why, but I just said, I have that feeling, it's them. Just don't know. And I tried her mobile and couldn't get through. And then I said, there's something wrong. A child and three adults are in a serious condition after a road accident at Cooleens on the Mallow side of Charleville and County Cork. All four are believed to have been travelling in one car when they were involved in a collision with another car on the main Cork to Limerick Road at about half past five this evening. The condition of the driver of the other car isn't yet known. And like that, going down, I saw the ambulance and I said, well, thank God, at least. It's not too bad. God forgive me, but I remember at the time thinking, oh, please don't let their faces be destroyed or they'll just be devastated. But I mean, that's the way they were. They just looked to be nice and I knew. And I said, starting out in the music now, if they're going to be destroyed, it's going to ruin their career. And God, they were here now, you'd wonder. 
At one point, all right, I remember Ollie turned to me and he said, you know, Neve is not down there because I was trying desperately to get down there. I mean, even though I knew they were dead, I still felt if I could just go down, they'll know I'm there. That's all I wanted. But nobody was allowing me down there. And he said, you know, Neve is not down there at all. And I actually thought then for a second, maybe, she, you know, she's gone to the hospital, she's alive. And I think he guessed what I was thinking. He said, no, she's not actually alive. She's gone with Emma. He said, Carmel and Denise are trapped. But um, I suppose we stayed on the road about maybe two hours. I mean, I didn't want to leave until they left anyway. And then, nine o'clock that night, we went to Mallow to identify them. The four of them were together. And that was basically it. From what I can remember, the day of the accident itself, um, I was up here at home. I remember talking to Neve about 12 o'clock in the day. And she actually arrived up at half past 12. I know I'd just been talking to her, so I'd say it must be about 12. Because she arrived up here at about half past 12. And she had a cup of tea and all the rest of it. And she was sitting here and giving out yards. They had four days to go to their next launch night in the Woodlands in Adair. And she was waiting for Carmel to come back. Carmel was one of these perpetually late people. So she would have stayed for about an hour... After that, then, the day just, it just kind of rolled on, really. Um, I remember half past four, would have been between half four and five, I was actually speaking with both Anita and Carmel, because I knew Carmel was more or less looking for a job, and one, and one had actually come up. So I rang to look for her at about half past four, and I was speaking to Anita. And got on to Carmel, told her about it, and she was like, do you want me to drop up now? Unfortunately, I said, no, no, you're fine, tomorrow I'll do Things could be an awful lot different if I'd said no, drop up now. And from the times we've been given, um, a half an hour to cross an hour after I'd been talking to them, they were all dead. And there was a guy walked in here and he was from Port Leash, but he had been at the previous launch. But as he walked in, he said, I'm after passing this awful accident. To this day, I'll never forget it. He said, I'm after passing an awful accident, but I could only see one car. But of course, as it turned out, the girl's car was down the field. And then Rick and... David, Rick, my husband, and David, the guy that come in, they actually just disappeared. I didn't clue where they were gone. They just disappeared on me. Didn't know why at the time, do now. Um, but I was sitting in here, just watching television, and they would have arrived back in here at about half past seven that, that evening. And I can picture them walking through the door. But I can't even, I mean, I didn't read from their expressions that there was anything wrong. Looking back now, I know David went straight to the kids. And I suppose acted as a shield, if you like, while Rick came over and informed me of what had happened. You know, he, he told me that Neve and Anita were dead. But then, you know, that still didn't make sense to me because I'd been talking to them at home a few hours earlier. But I was like, but who were they with, with what? And that's when he informed me that Carmel and the baby were dead as well. I was in England when the accident happened and... Um uh, we were set down having our tea at my sister's in Birmingham and uh, the telephone went and my sister took the message and she, she said, yes, Jim, I'm sitting down. And I said I was at the table and I just looked and I thought, whatever. it, I knew it was something really bad happened. Then she blurted out the news and I didn't know where I was or what was happening. All I wanted to do was get home. I 
thought if I could get home, everything would be all right. I got on the phone and I got through to Aer Lingus in Ireland. And they were absolutely wonderful. And we got on the plane and we arrived in Dublin and some passengers got on in Dublin. They opened the paper and they had seen my child's card. And it was terrible. It was just terrible. So we come to Cork and we went to Mallow Hospital then to to see Carmel and Emma and even Anita. And when I see them there, I thought they they have to go together, you know. I, I, I had to put them in the one coffin. I couldn't. I couldn't separate them. They belong together. And they're together now, hopefully, with God. All we have is the beautiful memories of three lovely people and my little granddaughter, Emma. I remember going into to the hospital. I do. I remember going into the morgue to see them that night. I, I remember walking in and putting my hand on Anita. Now, she looked, you know, the hair was a bit ruffled. She was extremely pale. Um, I remember there was a trickle of blood running from her nose. But she still looked the very same as Anita, except when you put your hand on her. She was ice cold. I'll never forget that feeling as long as I live. But other than that, they actually looked perfect. You know, there was a little bit of blood here and there, but their faces were perfect. Unfortunately, by the time the removal came around, um, Anita's face was no longer perfect because it was actually her neck that had broken, so she would have swelled overnight after that. So in one respect, I'm extremely glad I went to the morgue because I got to see her normal. Whereas if I hadn't seen her till the following day, she'd actually swelled at that point. But, but she was perfect in the morgue. You wouldn't have said anything other than the two of them were actually asleep. The day of the funeral, uh, so many people came and, um, well, it was wonderful to see the support you got. A lot went on on that day that I really, I really didn't know what was going on because I was so dazed. We were, we were functioning, but... It wasn't meaning much to us because I thought, you know, it's all been a bad dream. If you had asked me a week later who was at the funeral and who wasn't, I'd nearly have been able to tell you everybody. Of all the thousands now that were there, I could nearly tell you everybody that was there. A month later, you could tell me you were there and I wouldn't remember it. Like that, I suppose I met people I had not 
seen since I left school. There was people walked up to me, giving me names, and I just, you know, it was afterwards I realised who they really were. And you just go through the motions. That's what you basically do. There's no way of describing how you go through a funeral like that. You just, you know you have to do it. That's the sad part of it all. You know, no matter how desperate you are, and I often felt like tearing the house down, and you know, no matter what you do, they're never coming back anyway. I think I'd probably give up drink for about two months after, because if I took a drink to just break down the barriers and I couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't cope. cope at all, just lose it. I'd say for weeks after, like, cattle got counted about 40 times a day because I'd just walk away down the fields on my own, you know. And the reality of the whole that I'd said didn't actually set in for two, three months. You know, when you'd stop and say, like, they're just not coming back. Yeah, some people will say, as time goes on, it has to get easier. And I normally don't contradict these people. I just say, yeah, because there's no point. They don't understand. And, you know, there are times now, and it's gone two years, that it's so lonely that you could just... Oh, if there was just an easy way of just getting to them. And it's just the way it is. You just... It's hard. It's very, very hard to stay going. The funeral mass itself, I don't really remember any of it. I remember the girls' music being played at the very end while the coffins were being taken back out. We would have driven to the graveyard, which is maybe about two miles away. But because the girls had such an amount of friends... And if you knew Neva and Anita, you realised that 90% of these friends were male. <laughs> and they were all fighting. They wanted to be under the coffin. So we actually had to stop about a half a mile from the graveyard to allow for all of these changeovers. At that point, the coffins were up on, on people's shoulders. And we didn't know who. We, we didn't know which was which at one point. I didn't know whether I was walking behind Neve's coffin or Anita's coffin. And that was actually the toughest bit about it. And it was a friend of mine said it that day to me, you know, I remember talking to her. And I said something about, well, you know, something about the girls being gone. And, and she did turn, she said, that sounds so weird. She said, you go to a funeral and she said, people aren't supposed to speak in the plural. You see, we actually very seldom we ever did anything in the house we're all being included. I love to pack them all into the car at two minutes' notice where they wouldn't even have time to pack and maybe we head know. for the boat and go to England for a few days. There on a the Sunday night, she'd be due to go back to Dublin by train and she'd say, you go out tonight and we'd say, yeah, we might be going to maybe the Greenwood Inn or something to meet some friends of ours. And she'd say, look, I'll go back at six o'clock train in the morning. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll go to Patrick with you. And she might bring the boyfriend or she mightn't, you know, but she'd always end up coming there with us and well, that was the one good thing about them. It was probably unusual, is that they actually loved going out with us. And they were quite happy to sit with our friends, didn't bother them. They would chat away regardless. A lot of people said to us after they died, I suppose you're lucky that you were so close to them and they were always with you and you seemed to have a great relationship. And sometimes I'd say, yeah, it was marvellous. And then other times... I I often wish maybe they were a little bit more distant, it wouldn't have hurt so bad. But then I don't know that side of it because I'm sure there are parents who have lost children that were distant with them and they probably look back and wish they weren't. So I suppose there's no happy medium in these things. It's very hard to actually go to work, uh, look at life in the same way. It's just totally, you, you live life at a different level. You can never again, I'd say 
look forward to somebody and say, we're going to enjoy ourselves. Because deep down, it doesn't happen. You're always that step back. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually find it very hard. I, I don't visit the place here as often as uh, I find it very hard to, to cope, like, when I come in here. Okay, I come here in odd time, but not as often as what Mary can come here. The whole lot comes back to us every time, and, you know, there are photographs up there and names, and when you look at their ages on the headstones, you know, it just depresses you every time you come in here, I think. I suppose I'm basically the I won't say the opposite but um, I come in here not not thinking about them being in that ground but just to keep it nice and I know the way they were and they loved their flowers and they loved all sorts of nice things so I know if I was down there they'd do it for me and I suppose that's why I come in here. Other times I come here and I'm upset too and maybe I get more upset but then I get it out of my system and I go away again. I think the hardest thing is just to see the four of them and the four pictures there together because, I mean, all the times we drove past that graveyard singing and laughing and I suppose the girls probably had never been in here because we were in the area such a short time. But I never thought I'd see the day that I'd spend my days just trudging in and out of here. But there's nothing else to do now. It's just, I don't know, it can be so, so hard sometimes. Then I said they'd love their little Navita stone between the two graves. And actually, the day they were buried, Neve was buried here in the centre and Anita to her right and Carmel to her left because that's the way they sang. And they were actually buried in the suits they had launched in. So, I mean, it was probably just a little thing on both family sides. You know, we just thought, well, it would be nice to bury them as they sang, and that's what we did. And, of course, Emma is with Carmel. And, of course, we did put the little... Uh, music notes and guitars and things the little things they liked I suppose these graves have been visited so much in the past two years it's unbelievable, there was a time we thought the grass would never ever grow around them again because you had even little kids that kind of saw their posters I suppose around the place and thought they were they were great, you know, well, we know them so they used to come in and out here and you'd have little bits of flowers here and there and because you'd always have the little bits left for Emma because she, she was a little baby who got no chance and I think it just touched people's hearts all over the place really that four young lives were taken so so fast and they love life that's the saddest part you know when you when you look at them now or you look at two stones now is literally what you're looking at and they were so so full of life it's just not fair basically but that's the way it goes now and it doesn't get easier you know, maybe initially the first few days coming in here, you just literally wanted to tear them out of the ground. And I think maybe as the time went by, you realised, well, it was going to do you no good anyway. But no matter how many times you come in, it's still so, so hard to even imagine that that's, that's it for them now. And I think uh, most people that bury a child can, you know, recognise the pain. Then um, to bury two... If you bury a parent, I think it's hard, but it's something that subconsciously you're always expecting anyway, that that's the natural course of life. But it's not natural to bury a child. And to bury two then makes it a lot worse. I suppose if I think back on when they were buried first, 
I suppose coming over here, you felt you were some bit closer to them or that they were actually here. But then as time went on, you hoped that every time you walk in or you walk out that they're walking with you and laughing at what you're doing. And that's what you hope, really, that they're not just there in that ground. Following the deaths of the girls, um, the fact that they were so into their music, they absolutely loved music, they were so full of life that almost individually they were as strong as they were as a group. It didn't matter whether Neve walked into a room crowded with people or Anita walked into a room crowded with people. These people had the same reaction. The men looked, the women glanced. <laughs> that was about the extent of it. And they went through it. They actually got to the point they didn't mind. But I felt after they were killed that it would be so wrong to leave the memories of people that could do that go. And for us to forget that, it felt like the worst thing in the world. It would have been even more tragic than losing the girls. It would have been for people to forget what they were like and for those that didn't know them to actually not realise what they had missed. So we went on and as a family we decided we had to do something. I went on and suggested that we set up something in memory of the girls, which we did, which is now called the Navita Foundation in memory of the name of the band, Navita, which actually comes from a combination of the names Neve and Anita. In years to come, I'm hoping we'll be able to do absolutely wonderful things. At the moment, we're starting small, but we're definitely getting there. Neve at one point had said, you know, there are so many fantastic singers out there. Like she knew it was going to be hard to make it in the music business, regardless of what talent you had, unless you hit the right people, forget about it. And uh, she said, there's so, so many fantastic people there that never get a chance to go into a recording studio. They never have the funding or maybe the family support to do so. So Karen actually had said it to me, and I'm sure she said it to her dad, what would you think about the song festival, about having something? And I said, yeah. But I said, the one thing you've got to do is make sure the prize money is good. Because I said, knowing them, they wouldn't want a little Mickey Mouse song festival. They'd want something good that would give someone a good start in their career. Well, I suppose, to put it bluntly, they were too young to die. And it's a way we have of maybe keep yourselves occupied and doing something for them, something that we know that they would enjoy themselves. And towards the song festival is what I literally live for now because I love music, absolutely adore music in every shape and form and always had music in the house. Girls were always singing, I was always singing. Karen unfortunately doesn't sing but maybe that was a good thing for us because if she did, maybe she'd have been with them. Knowing the girls before and of course Carmel, it's quite easy to see where they got the gift of the gab from and where they all got it from because every one of them had this magic that anyone who comes in contact with them is immediately affected by it. Anyone who came into the studio when they were recording with us never, ever forgot them. They left an indelible mark on everybody. And looking out at the audience here tonight, they obviously left an indelible mark on everyone here who knew them or had heard about them or heard their song. And no doubt this contest is going to grow from strength to strength and it will be heard of in many, many, many years. And well done to everyone concerned. The winning song for this year's Navita Foundation competition is number nine, I Swear, sung by Richie Hayes.
when Karen set up the Navita Foundation, myself, I'm not into that sort of thing, you know, but the girls would love it. I wish Colin would come because he would really enjoy it. But Colin don't hardly go to the grave. He just can't cope with that sort of thing. Now he don't go to any of those things because he just can't cope. He's happy in his own home and I'm happy out of it. This is the spot now where the accident happened on that evening. We just three quarters of a mile outside Charleville Town. It's just on a bend of the road. Continuous white line for nearly a quarter of a mile. Just unfortunate that there was mistakes made. And four people paid for it dearly. And all the families are going to pay for it for the rest of our lives. So if you see the little headstone that is up there, We've down at the end of it, you know, slow down, respect life. Really and truly, I don't think anybody, by what you can see there on the road now, nobody takes notice of that. It has to happen to yourself or to your member of your family before anybody will take notice. Unfortunately, people just don't care. See the, the photograph of the girls there and little Emma for them there on the side of the road like, and it, was, it was actually Joey's idea there, that was uh, my eldest son he was 13 at the time, he insisted on their photograph going up there and it's there since I remember parking the car up there walking down the guard stopped us coming down, he said don't go down he said it's bad I can still picture that night. I, that goes on through my head every day of my life. And when as you can see, it's a pretty busy road. Another thing, like, and I suppose many people could uh, appreciate this, like, the, this is something happens to somebody else that never happened to you. The real, the real, the reality of it, when that sets in, and it's maybe about two months after, then it's bad. And I, I think it's two over two years now, but I think it's actually worse now than it was then. The loneliness is there; that'll never go. Do you still feel that it was only a couple of days ago it happened? I think a shock on that carries you through for the first couple of months. But as time goes on, it is actually worse it gets. People might say it's better, but it's not. And I have pity for any family that have lost somebody in such circumstances, in any circumstances, but to bury a child is not natural. I firmly believe that they are around here somewhere. I mean, I, I don't believe that when you die that you're just gone. Um, but I, I firmly believe that they are around. If only from my own kids' point of view, I, I had a child, she was only a year and a half when they died, and she would stop point blank at any point in the day and say, oh, they're there, 
you know, there's the two details because that's what she called them all the time. And she she could have been playing like with a mass of toys and she'll just stop and stare. And you'd say, where are they? And she would point here or there or whatever. And you really couldn't but believe it. And, you know, but I, I do believe that they're there. I do believe that they're there, um, you know, when I need them. Night times at the song festival to do with the foundation. They're definitely there. I, I can almost tell at, at different points and say, yeah, you're here. It's a way of keeping sane as well. If you were to believe that they were really, really gone, I think you'd absolutely lose your mind. Whereas this way, they're still around, you just can't see them. I think the things I missed most about the girls, I suppose, number one, their company. They were a great company from the time they were little to the day they died. The little cups of tea and the chats and the two o'clock in the morning when they came back from a disco and, Ma'am, are you awake? Do you want a cup of tea? In other words, get out of bed and listen to his moan. And I suppose I missed the music big time. The jokes, the crack, the blagarding, the roguery. The house was full of life always. Their friends were always here. I mean, you could wake in the morning and go to a room and you just didn't know who was where. There was heads here, there, floor, beds. That's just the way the house was. You know, it was kind of an open house. And I suppose it's the silence that's in the house now is what makes it so, so hard and what makes you miss them most. I have absolutely no idea what I would say to them if they were standing in front of me. I don't know. They'd probably be given out to each other, given out to me, the amount of conversations that we'd have. And there were more... Half the time there were discussions more than conversations or rather arguments more than discussions even. I mean, when you were in a bad mood, it's very handy to have a sister that's a friend because you can say what you like and do what you like and they'll always talk to you ten minutes later. And it really does, it means a lot. And it's one thing I really, really miss is that I have nobody to argue with. You know, you can only do that with family and that's gone, you know, so I can't do it anymore and it's one of the things I really miss about them. I'd give my whole life to have her back. And him. I often said, you know, and I say this and I say it to my two daughters and sons. You know, if it was me and Colm that were going down that road and it happened to us, they'd have got over it. They'd have got over it because it's a natural thing to lose a mother and father, even though they're very dear to you. But it's not natural to lose a child. I'm about to become a great-grandmother. And we'll all love that baby. But there is nobody would ever, ever take the place of Carmel and Emma. One horrible day now, I suppose, that has stuck in my mind. It would have been about a month before the girls were killed. And Anita and Mammy actually arrived up here. And they were inside in the kitchen. And I remember turning to Anita and saying... What are you so dressed up for? And I said, what's more, you're dressed up in Neve's clothes and if she sees you, it's just going to be murder, you know? But she just evolved and up, the hair was done, the makeup was done, you know, lovely jacket on, pair of jeans, the whole works. And for some really strange reason, it crossed my mind, if anything ever happens, I'm going to remember you like this. I got a shiver that day and I still got a shiver thinking about it. We weren't young parents. I was 41 when Carmel was born. And I worried something would be wrong with her but thank God and this is where I must thank God and believe that God is there he gave her to me for 21 years and he gave us little Emma for 21 months it's a wonderful memory to have 
It really is. A child comes into If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.